0: Well, I had never intended to do anything but full-time art for the rest of my life. In spite of the fact that it was very hard at times, because I wasn't sure if I could make enough income, what the right mix was in terms of what I should be doing, I never wanted to stop. However, the universe had a different plan. When I was 44 years old, after four years of doing the art, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. That pretty much threw me for a complete loop because I was healthy, I ate well, exercised, no family history of breast cancer. It was the last thing on my radar.
1: Hi, I'm Daphne Cohn. Welcome to the Creativity Habit Podcast, conversations with the artists and makers who use creativity to innovate, disrupt, and elevate. Collage artist and painter Katherine Rains took a very windy road to become the artist she is today. It wasn't until she was 33 that she began making art, believing up until that point that she, quote, didn't have an artistic bone in her body. But needing stress release from her job, she turned to collage making, and she fell in love. Over the next 20 years, Catherine would go on to work while making art, become a full-time artist, get breast cancer, get divorced, return back to work, and eventually become once again a full-time artist. This is her story. In this interview, we talk about Catherine's journey, and we also talk about her daily routine, how she fit art in every day while working full-time, the three core things to focus on when building an art business, the exact phrase Catherine used to manifest her dream job, building an art career while navigating breast cancer and divorce, and the most important strategy for making money when starting out. May you enjoy this conversation and may it inspire you to make your thing and change your world. Hello, Catherine. Welcome to The Creativity Habit. Thank you, Daphne. I'm
0: more than thrilled to be with you.
1: Oh, it's great to have you. It really is. So I begin every podcast, every interview with your creativity story. What was creativity? How did it show up for you as a little girl?
0: Well... I was one of those people pretty much until I was probably in my 30s that would have said, I don't have a creative bone in my body. Um, I didn't grow up as what I consider a creative child. My mother and father were both very creative. They're artists, writers, sculptors, poets, but not me. In fact, when I, I had to do anything creative as a child, my father would let me start. And then he would basically take it over <laughs> and and not only take it over, but he would totally redo it. And I would turn in whatever he created, particularly if it was, a, you know, a written paper or anything like you had to draw a picture for something. So I really believed that I didn't have any talent. Um, I didn't have any chance to practice talent. I never took any art classes. I did like crafts, though. So I was really crazy about crafts like knitting and crocheting and Anything that had directions, like even paint by number, I was just crazy about. But nothing that would take you know, a creative spark on my own. So I didn't do creativity in the kind of a traditional art sense, but I was very, very entrepreneurial as a child. Um, I got my first job doing papers, actually delivering papers when I was 10 years old. And I, I simultaneously was a babysitter. And I never stopped after that. And I was always coming up with ways to earn money on the side. Like I did a Jerry Lewis telephone four years in a row. And I used to put on shadow plays with my friends for a quarter, you know, and, and charge people. So I was always in this kind of money making mode for some odd reason, which I think is a part of creativity. I love the kind of business of creativity, as much as I love creativity. So that kind of was always there.
1: And going back to your father, was it When he did take over for whether it was writing or some drawing, did he tell you things or as he took it over, like was he letting you know with words that he didn't think that you weren't creative or was it just the action of him, which is in and of itself a big action, but was it the action of him taking over the work?
0: It was both. He would kind of give me direction on where he wanted me to go and when he saw that I wasn't doing it in his way (laughs) – he would redo it. But I think he saw my projects as almost a way to express his own creativity because he was a hobby artist himself. He was a librarian by trade. So he never really got to do creativity as anything other than, you know, in his spare time. So I think he saw my projects as a way to express his own creativity.
1: That's my take on it. So you grew up not seeing yourself as creative, but certainly as you say, as entrepreneurial and Then at some point, though, art came into your life full force. So how did art and creativity come back into your life? So I I think
0: it never really went away from the standpoint of I was always doing crafts. So crafts was always I was always using my hands in some way. But again, anything I did had to have directions, you know, so I didn't actually do anything what I would consider creative on my own. The way it came to me was actually, I was a full adult. I was 33 years old. And at that point, I was a director of a career development center for a college. I had planned my entire life at this point to make two more job hops, and I would be a director of a major university, like University of Maryland or University of Chapel Hill, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. So that was my life trajectory. I'd gotten a master's for it. I had moved from New York, North Carolina to get this bigger job and I'd plan to make two more hops and I would be at this ultimate career goal. And I was good at what I did, you know, I was being rewarded, people liked working for me, I was getting published and I was three years into the job and I was completely miserable. No one knew it because I was only projecting competence, I was good at what I did and it didn't make sense not to like it because I had put so much energy into getting this job, but I was very, very stressed. And I thought it was kind of ironic that here I'm a career development person, you know, I help kids figure out what they want to do with their lives, and I'm miserable in my own job. So I started doing career development on myself. One of the kind of classic exercises in career development is you write a long list of everything you did as a child, but weren't told to do it. So I wrote this list out one day. And in the middle of my list, you know, I had things like play with Barbie dolls and Um, I love to make forts outside, you know, things like that. And one of the things on the list was collage. You know, I had a memory of myself as a 10-year-old holding up the only collage I had ever made. I have a picture of myself doing this. And I just remember how much joy that gave me, that simple little collage. So I said, okay, I need to do something. Something's got to give here because I am stressed over the top. So one Sunday afternoon, I gathered all of the catalogs in the house and a couple magazines, ripped them up. And I created my first collage in over 20 years. I literally had so much freaking fun doing this thing that I just kept doing it for the next three years. I just made dozens and dozens and dozens of these what I would consider very juvenile, very unprofessional looking collages.
1: Let me ask one quick question actually. Because you said you had a picture of when you were 10 holding up the only collage you ever did did you only do one collage while you were a child, or that's the only picture you had of you with a collage?
0: As to my memory, I only made one collage. That
1: so was it. That's the part that was was interesting to me, that leaped out at me, because you wrote down on this list of things that you enjoyed doing as a child that no one told you to do, and collage was one of them, and yet you have only one memory of making a collage. That's it- fascinating.
0: Yeah, it must have been a sign, you know, because it was such an embedded memory. That gave me a lot of joy back then.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, interesting, when I did it again as an adult, it gave me just as much joy because it was just literally like kind of playing. That's all it was, was playing. You know, what I was creating was pretty bad. I still have that first collage that I made. That was, you know, it was 1993. And it looks awful. <laughs> but, you know, it literally just lit my heart on fire. I was so excited about it. So I started creating these piles and piles of them, you know, every day after work. And this was just a hobby. It was just a form of stress relief. But, you know, over time, I I accumulated quite a collection of these things. And I started framing them. And I would put them all over my office um, at my college job. My colleagues and my students would come in my office and they would look at these framed collages. There was probably a dozen of them on the wall. They all would make the same comment. They would say some version of, oh, you have children. <laughs> and I don't have children, but that interestingly didn't bother me one bit because every single one of them was an expression of my soul. They were a self-portrait in some way telling me where I needed to go next. They were inspiring me, but I never saw them as something that I would sell. I knew they weren't professional looking, but I loved them, which is why I you know, put them on my office walls.
1: Well, okay. I have a lot of questions. Okay. Okay. And we're going to get into, this is only the beginning of your story. I'm very aware of that. So we're we're going to go a lot deeper into your story. First, I want to make an observation and then ask a question. So the observation is a lot of times when we think of, oh, I want to do that thing that I loved as a child. And we feel like it needs to be this thing that we did all the time. Like we were playing violin 12 hours a day we couldn't put it down and then we stepped away from it and now years later we know we need to play the violin. But in your case, which is such a good example, it doesn't, ne- it doesn't need to be something that we were doing constantly, that we just knew from day one, this is who we are, this is what we do. You made, at least as far as you can remember, one collage and yet that collage did have meaning for you. So I just wanted to make that observation, because I think it can be really important if somebody's struggling with, but I don't know what I loved as a kid, or I only did that a little bit. Mm -hmm. So there's that. And then I wanted to ask with the collages, you mentioned that you love them, even though they look like something, if you'd had kids, your kids would have made, because they were a part of your soul. They were self-portrait in some ways, and they were telling you where to go next. So these collages that you were making were guiding you. And I'm curious, what was the process that you had around making them that they would reveal to you, whether it's where to go next or or some type of guidance? Mm
0: -hmm. Well, I didn't make it real complicated. My process for creating a collage would have been, it's the same as a kid making a collage. Literally rip up dozens and dozens of pictures. It's literally like, putting together a puzzle again, like, oh, there's a picture of a girl, a ballerina. Okay, I like that. Oh, and I like the letter R. I like that. And I like this plate, picture of a plate. And so I would start, you know, moving all the images around. and literally as if I was putting a puzzle together, but I didn't know what the puzzle was supposed to look like. So I wasn't forcing anything. I was, or trying to make anything. I was literally just saying what looks like it should go with what. And the more I did that, the more I realized, oh my God, these things actually go together. To me, it was like magical to see how the pieces, sounds weird, but they kind of spoke to each other and they were speaking to me. So it was kind of creating itself by me just choosing images that actually got me excited or like said something to me, or I liked the color of it. It was very much a childlike process, but in the process of creating a childlike collage, the collage itself was not forced and it ended up really speaking to me in terms of in, basically inspiring me that where I am is the right place to be or the next small step I need to take. And granted, it wasn't to be an artist. I wasn't thinking, oh, I need to you know make a step to be an artist. It was just, what do I need to do to heal my own soul? which I was very much into at the time, how to be okay where I was and not try to get somewhere else.
1: So as you would finish a collage, is it that you would finish the collage and then step back and see, oh, here's this piece of like this insight or inspiration for me, or was that happening as you were making it that you were learning from the collage?
0: Usually as I was making it, mm-hmm. and at the end too, it, it happened both ways, but for the most part, As I was doing it, I was kind of back in my brain realizing that the reason I'm attracted to an image is because, you know, I wasn't trying to choose it because I'm attracted to it, but I'm attracted to it. So I just tried to take my brain out of the process and not try to analyze why I'm trying to pick certain things. Rather just, oh, I really love that color or that shape. Let's use that. And it just happens to go in the background with this. You know, it was very organic and childlike. Because I wasn't forcing anything the meaning came very easily and naturally to me.
1: Oh, that's so fascinating You actually there's a quote. I have of yours from an interview and this ties in perfectly and And then I want to ask something around it. So in the quote you say I Think the things that are kind and they feel good Those are the things that I'm being guided to do instead of this crazy person working through this list There's a million other things I want to do. There are so many things that I want to add to my business, but it's unrealistic and it's also unkind, and I believe it's not the universe telling me. It's my brain telling me, and my brain actually is very limited. The higher plan is where I don't follow my brain, but I follow what feels good. So it ties into this early collage making, even though you were saying this quote is from much later in your life. What I'm wondering about with that is where does the brain fit into all of this because there must be a place where the higher plan and the insights being revealed when you're just letting things happen and you're playing and having that childlike experience with your art there's that place for it and then there must also be a place where the brain fits in so how do they fit together?
0: Well that's a deep question you
1: know I think in my experience
0: when i I'm able to really follow what does feel good or kind or kind of lights me up. Even in the simplest way, things work exponentially easier and better for me. When I follow what is logical, what I consider kind of my right brain, what what I should be doing, I'm following the list, the plan. It's not that it doesn't work, but it tends to take three or four times longer than if I just follow what really is easy, And I wish I could say that I do this well. This is a lifelong ambition for me to really let go of the plan. I always live with a plan, a to-do list. Everything's already written out. But every day, you know, I try to look at my plan or my list, which I consider very much brain stuff. You know, this is all what my brain has decided to do. And I look at the list and go, okay, what really feels great? And what can I let go of? You know, where can I make room for a nap? Because a nap is kind. And it's very hard for me to do that because I'm very, I think it's my entrepreneurial brain part that wants to push, you know, and make it happen. And that really doesn't work near as well as when I look at my list. I think a plan is great. And I think, you know, all the brain stuff is great, but If I don't follow it so religiously, in fact, I kind of like use it as a guideline as opposed to this rigid thing that has to happen, things happen much faster and easier. And I'm guided to the place I
1: need to be as opposed
0: to what my brain thinks I need to be. Right.
1: Exactly. That's what I gathered from what you were saying is that the brain is there to plan the things out, to schedule, to have the to-do list. But the insights, the guidance comes from somewhere else so you're making these collages we'll go back in time again you're making these collages and while you're not seeing them as like the future future art career you still keep making them and what's happening all this time with this job that you're in that you don't like
0: (laughs) well I still didn't like it three more years passed and now I'm six years into this job I don't like very stressed still I mean I love my collage work that's all great It was a great uh, source of stress relief. But I'm still here, six years. At that moment in my life, I couldn't make a move to get out of the job. And I also intellectually knew that I could go get another job. I mean, I could go and take another jump to a bigger job of what I got and make that leap. But I'd be in the same place I am now because I would still bring me with me. So I'd be miserable in the next job. You know, I, I knew the pattern. And in that moment, something, just a phrase popped into my brain. And the phrase was, what you resist persists. I'd heard that phrase hundreds of times intellectually, but I never really internalized it and realized that I was resisting my job. And the reason I didn't realize it was because all the things I didn't like about my job, anyone would would not like. I was being barked at all the time. And uh, I was in a very controversial role where people either loved me or hated me. I was always being judged and I was managing people that were in war at war with each other. And I mean, who would like this? So to me it was logical who wouldn't resist this yet. I knew that what you resist persists. So in that moment, it just was like literally someone slapped my face. That's what it felt like. It took me about 10 minutes after that to realize what I needed to do. What I decided was changing jobs was the last thing I needed to do what I had to do was completely relax into the job I had, see if I could at least accept it the way it was. So what I did was I came up with this phrase, which was this moment is my destiny. I actually came up with it because I had been reading the book, The New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. He talks about that every single thing you're doing in every single moment is your destiny. You don't need to look for this big thing. Look for walking across the kitchen floor. That's your destiny in that moment. So I took that idea every single time I felt my chest constrict or my little lizard brain go off and go, I do not want to be here. I do not want this person talking to me. I need out of here. Anytime I heard that internal conflict, even though they didn't know what was going on, cause I'm smiling at them. I say to myself, no, 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 you are meant to be right here because that is where you are. You have lived your entire life. To be sitting in this moment with this person, this moment is your destiny. So just be here fully with them. So for for instance, I had a, for some reason, this is like this memory that I'll never let go of. I had an employee come into my office and I was very busy with it this day, lots of things to do. And they wanted my time because they were really mad at another employee and they wanted to basically bitch at me. And so, and you know, initially my brain says, Oh God are you kidding me? I don't know. I want to talk to you. But then I said, no, no, no. You know, I, I, would have, I would have sat them down and talked to them regardless, but my lizard brain would have normally just like crucified them in my head. <laughs> but they sat down and I, I started, you know, inside my internal struggle. And I said, no, no, this is my destiny. I am meant to be with this person. And I completely relaxed with this woman who was very upset. And I was just fully with her. And it turned out to be this wonderful interaction where I was like almost in love with her. It was like, wow, this was really something. Then another time I was in a a meeting with all my fellow department heads. It was like 20 of us around a table. And we had to meet together like every month. And to me, this was the biggest waste of my time. You know, basically it was my, my VP just barking at us or philosophizing to us. And he just talked at us for two hours once a month. So I went into this meeting thinking, oh, great, you know, two hours and wasted my time. And I said, no, 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 this is my destiny. I've lived my whole life to go to this meeting today. And so I looked around the room and looked at these 20 beautiful people, including my, my vice president, and said, oh, I love, I actually do love these people. They're brilliant. They want to serve students. They're here for the highest good. They're serving us cookies, for God's sake. <laughs> I just got into what my VP was talking about like, Oh, well, that's an interesting thought. You know, it's two hours off. I got two hours off to do nothing, eat cookies and hang out with my, my dear friends. So what happened was I did this repeatedly. And it became this habit, like a game. Every time anything happened that I started constricting or yelling inside of my head, I go, no, 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 no. This moment's my destiny. And I did it so often. That three months into it, I realized that I did not want to leave my job. That I'd actually fallen in love with it. Literally every core of my being loved. And this
1: you're job. still making art during this whole time? I'm still making
0: collages. Yeah. Okay. You know that was just a sideline. You know, I, I would have loved to have done more of that. And, you know, I was doing more and more, and I loved it more and more. So I fell in love. At the same time that that happened, so when I when I started doing this moment is my destiny little thing. I had a simultaneous event, a friend of mine who was in a similar job over at Clemson University called me and said that a recruiter called her and offered her a job. And I went, oh, well, I'm in a similar job. How come someone's not going to call me? Well, of course they're going to call me because I'm, I take phone calls all the time for employers. They would call me too. Something clicked in my brain that said, if it happened to her, it's going to happen to me." At the same time I'm saying this moment is my destiny to pretty much everybody who comes into my life, every time the phone rings, I'm saying to myself, there's my new job. I know it's my job. And of course, it wasn't my job for many, many months. So no job, no job, no job. Three months in, uh, into this little game I was playing, answering the telephone, thinking it was my new job, darned if it wasn't my new job. It was a woman calling me up who I had not solicited. I didn't know who she was. And she is calling to ask to see if I was interested in this job, training for the Myers-Briggs. It was at twice the salary, company car, travel around the country, no staff, work at home. Basically, it was my secret dream job, other than being an artist, because I'd already you know kind of fantasized it would be cool to sell art at some point in there. But that wasn't realistic at that point. But this Myers-Briggs thing was literally the thing I thought was completely unrealistic. could never happen. I had no experience. And yet, this stranger just called me and offered it to me.
1: And how did you manage during this time, maybe this wasn't an issue, so you'll tell me, but any kind of doubt or anxiety that might have creeped in after answering the phone, phone call after phone call saying, here's my job, here's my job, And then going week after week and not having your job be on the other end, did you at some point start to have doubts like, oh, maybe I shouldn't keep doing this game or it's not working? (laughs) I really wasn't trying to create a job. It was just playing
0: a game with myself. It didn't take long for me to fall in love with my job once I started saying this moment is my destiny. So you know, even though I was playing this game on the side, just basically entertaining myself because I did it so often, I began to believe it that... I was going to get a phone call. There wasn't really a reason to get disappointed because I was in love with where I was. I didn't need another job. I didn't want another job, actually. When I did get the phone call, ironically, my reaction to it, like, oh, my God, this is the phone call I've been waiting for. As soon as they hung the, the, the phone up, I literally said the F word about, I don't know, 50 times <laughs> because that, it was, I didn't want a job. I actually liked my job. So it was actually, it created quite a turmoil. Do I leave this perfect university job for pretty much an unknown, even though it looked really glamorous, you know, had all the qualities of what I thought I wanted? It was a big risk. You know, I was working for a company. I was giving up a lot of university benefits, like, you know, lots of time off, you know, pretty much a lifetime contract. I can get fired any time working for a company and people do get fired. But I, I did take the job took me about a month to finally decide. But a lot of people basically were kicking me in the butt and saying, you know, this was a gift from the universe that you can't ignore this. You have to go for it. And I knew that I could go back to my university job if it didn't work out. So I left and I started working for the Myers-Briggs company.
1: Okay. So when does art come into your life in a way where now art is more of what you're doing than anything else
0: well so i started with working with myers-briggs and that's when i took my first art class and it was by someone who was actually a magazine collage artist who was making a living doing it so it was a five-day workshop i learned to refine my skills in a very short amount of time i created a new collage i was pretty proud of it and i xeroxed it sent it to a friend in california she framed it put it on her office wall And a rich client came in and offered to buy it. As soon as that happened, I figured out within a week's time how to make an archival professional print of this original. And I sold it to her. It was my very first sale. And that triggered a whole series of events. So for the next probably three years after that, I was still working for the Myers-Briggs company. I went to every gallery opening, talked to every artist, went to every museum. I went to every art festival. I interviewed everybody I could to try to figure out what do you need to do to make a living as an artist, because I wanted to thrive as one. I didn't want to be a starving artist. I didn't have a portfolio. I had just a couple nice you know, professional-looking collages because I was working. It was almost impossible to create a portfolio because I was traveling around the country at the time. And when I was 40 years old, after four years working for the Myers-Briggs company, I just took a, a wild leap of faith with no portfolio. I mean, I knew what I needed to do you know, to create a business out of it, But I didn't have a plan. I just jumped and did it. That's what I did full-time for four years was be a full-time artist. And I did make a living doing it. And I was just at the point after the end of the four years where I was probably paying a third of my family's bills. I was shooting for half. I had had three one-woman shows. I was in very high-end juried art festivals. I was selling wholesale. To me, I was on the verge of so-called making it.
1: Question before we get to what happens next, which is you said that during the period before you left, you were going to museums and galleries and you were interviewing artists and you were figuring out, you were doing a lot of research to figure out what it was you needed to do to become a full-time artist. Do you remember some of the key takeaways that you gathered during that period? The key takeaways at the time were that I needed to
0: create art, but I could also turn into a product that just selling, fine, you know, original fine art was not going to create enough income, at least in, in, at the time I was doing it. So I was figuring out kind of a product mix, put it on journals, cards, magnets. How do you make a print And, you know, do you do open edition or limited edition? How do you mat? How do you frame? Do I do art festivals? Do you do gallery shows? So it was kind of like, what's the mix I needed to do in order to make a living as an artist? But actually, it's interesting. When I quit my job, it took me about a year of doing none of those things, really. All I was doing for my first year was just creating a portfolio. So I actually had something to turn into a product. But then after that, for the next three years, I was doing all of those things, different kinds of things pulled together to create income as an artist
1: during these four years where you're a full-time artist, how did that feel? It was this like, yes, I have found the thing I want to be doing. Did you miss the job, having a steady job? What was that like for you?
0: Oh, God. It was half ecstasy. Monday mornings were the, my favorite part of the week because I got to go back to work, which was my doing my art. I thought it was heaven on earth. I can't imagine doing anything more fulfilling that just set my whole body on fire. That was 50%. The other 50% was a lot of anxiousness because ironically, I wanted to make an income so I never had to get another job. I never wanted to have to work for someone ever again. So I was pretty driven. Not doing anything that I would learned from the whole standpoint of what i learned on my previous job, which is just to allow things to happen to me and fall in love with things as they are. Instead, I was pushing like crazy.
1: So you're in this world now where you've been a full-time artist. You're doing the thing that you want to do, and 50% of the time it's lighting you up, and 50% of the time you're pushing pretty hard to make it work. So what happened at the end of those four years? Well,
0: I had never intended to... anything but full-time art for the rest of my life in spite of the fact that it was very hard at times because I wasn't sure if I could make enough income what the right mix was in terms of what I should be doing I never wanted to stop however the universe had a different plan when I was 44 years old after four years of doing the art I was diagnosed with breast cancer that pretty much threw me for a complete loop because I was healthy I ate well, exercised, no family history of breast cancer. It was the last thing on my radar that that would ever happen to me. And plus, I was fairly young. Usually that doesn't happen to people who are their young forties. When you when you go through that kind of experience, there's a lot of decisions that have to be made very, very quickly. I'm trying to, you know, quite a process, do you get a lumpectomy, do you get a mastectomy? I mean, who wants to lose a body part? I mean, it was all very dramatic at the time. But at the same time, I was bringing in everything I had learned from my college job, which is somehow this is what I'm supposed to be going through. This is my destiny too. So I continually relaxed around it and basically said yes to it. I just allowed it to be, you know, every time I got dramatic or cried or, you know, thought this was horrible, oh my God, I kind of pulled myself back to earth and said, no, somehow this is going to be probably the best thing that's ever happened to me. So I got through all of the cancer surgery. Remember, I'm in the kind of in-between stages of healing from surgery. I'm waiting for the doctor to call to tell me whether I needed chemotherapy or not. Simultaneously to this, my old job with the Myers-Briggs had offered me my job back, not because of cancer. They had no idea about what had happened. They had offered me to come back um, the following year where I would – be on the road for 45 weeks. It was a lot of money for a very short amount of time. They were really offering me a full-time job, like permanent. But in my brain, I thought, well, I don't really want a job, but you know, this was being offered to me. So I made a deal with the universe. And I said, if I get chemotherapy, If that's what I need to do, I will not take the job because I want to put all my energy into healing my body, and I'll continue with a full-time art. If I don't get chemotherapy, I'll take the job just for a year. Just, you know, beef up the coffers so I don't have to put so much pressure on myself with art, and, you know, we'll let the universe decide. So within three or four days, the doctor called, said I didn't need chemotherapy, and I accepted the job. And I went back to my old job with the Myers Briggs and went on the road for forty five weeks.
1: So it's very interesting because it was during the time you're making art and doing the thing that you want to be doing, you're also, as you said, you're you're pushing against. You know, you're not going with the flow as, as much as you were prior to in your old job. And there's some resistance, and there's some just trying to make it happen. And then you find out that you have breast cancer. And something in you switches again to where in the middle of such an intense time in your life, you're able to relax into it again, which is just fascinating that when you were almost like you were calling the shots as deciding to be a full-time artist, you it's almost like you felt, well, if I'm calling the shots, I need to make it all happen. Whereas if you're in a job or you're given a diagnosis that you're not in control of, it allows you to relax into whatever that is, whatever the situation is.
0: Yeah, it's a very good observation. In fact, I've made that, I've, I've I've written down these things over the years when I've been able to do this, what I call, basically surrendering to exactly what shows up. And when it works for me is when I'm in some kind of situation where I really am out of control. You know, I don't, like, like I was stuck in a job that I really couldn't get out of. Or you know, I get breast cancer and, you know, So I don't really have control over it. Whereas you're right. I did have control over my art. So I pushed like crazy and it doesn't work very well. You know, it took much, much longer to get everything that I wanted um, as a full-time artist compared to when I don't do that. So I went back to my job and by the way, I loved doing it. You know, this wasn't like a hardship duty after the first year on the job. You know, I was always contemplating how to get back to full-time art. You know, I never intended to keep up my job. This was just a way to make money and, you know, have some fun in the process for a year. At the end of the year, they said, well, you did so good on this. Why don't you do another 45 weeks? So we came up with another way to keep me on the road for 45 weeks for another year. Then the third year, they came up with another way of doing it. And then the fourth year and the fifth year. And after 10 years of doing this, the training that I, I do train, stand-up training for people, it just got better and better. And now I'm a certification trainer for the Myers-Briggs. And to me, that's like the best ever. I love doing it. I change people's lives. But in the 10 years I was doing that, I did almost no art at all. I tried to bring it on the road, but it just was so hard. And I, I never figured out a way to integrate art into my life again. Did you feel the lack Oh, it was a, a mourning, you know, a grieving all the time. Yet I, I knew that staying with my co- with the Myers-Briggs company was the right thing to do. And an interesting part of the reason I knew it was the right thing to do was at the two or three year mark. I'd already been back two or three years. And again, I was contemplating how to get out always. You know, how can I go back to full time art at the three or four year mark of um, my husband? ask for a divorce and to be a full time artist, you don't need a partner, but it helps a lot because you know, it's nice to have health insurance and not have to worry about that or have an extra income just in case you don't bring in another, you know, enough income with sales a certain month. So my husband at the time, now, now my ex, he leaves and but I'm in a full time job where I'm making a decent income. So to me, this deal I made with the universe, I knew in an instant that's why I had to go back. I just didn't realize that I'd stay so long. But all of that worked out perfectly, too. I've asked and asked and asked, you know, when is the right time for me to go back to full-time art? I always knew that it wasn't the time, you know, that I would know when it was the right time. After 10 years of this, um, in 2015, I realized, you know, something has got to give here because I love doing my day job, but I'm not doing any art. And people will get on my website and go, oh my gosh, your art's amazing. And then my heart would just sink. It would just go, oh my God, what am I doing? You know, I love my job, but my art is my calling. It's my life. So 2015, I sat myself down in January and I made a plan to figure out a way to integrate my art. With my job, not give up my job, not give up my art, but do both. And so I made a very structured schedule that basically I had to follow the schedule to fit art in because, you know, there's so much time during our day, like we're answering emails or we're just kind of piddling around that if I could encapsulate all those kind of wasted moments, kind of like I'm not doing anything really useful moments that I could probably fit an hour of art in every single day. So I got up at 5 o'clock every single day on Sundays, too. like From 5 to 6, I did some self-care work on myself, like meditation. And then at 6.30, I was in my studio doing art. And that's when I was at home. So it happened every day. And I did that pretty much for 365 days.
1: Did you ever feel resistance? Did you ever think, oh, not this morning, I'm just going to sleep in or... Did the- um
0: occasionally I did but what really helped was when I first started this I put myself up with a 30-day challenge and it was just for myself so I said okay for 30 days you're going to get up at 5 a.m. and do art every day and I had a calendar and I marked it off and I also blogged about it every single day not that anyone was reading about my blog but at least it was kind of keeping me accountable to myself so after 30 days of kind of getting in the groove of it and once I you know even though I was tired many days Once I started doing the art, I got so excited that I was like, oh, my God, this is fantastic. (laughs) And then I would, you know, then it would propel me to the next day because I knew, you know, there was such a payoff if I could just get myself to that 630 point. That's what happened for when I was home. So I'm home one third of the time and I'm on the road about two thirds of the time. And so I had a different kind of schedule on the road but it was similar. It's just that the, all the art was happening at 7 PM. So from like seven to 11, I did art and also the business of art as well. Then at some point in there, I realized that I love, I was starting to learn how to paint because up until this point, it was strictly collage. I started to paint and if I wanted to continue learning how to paint, I needed to bring my paint on the road. So I already pack really heavy. I have to bring four suits with me for every trip, so it's, which is a very heavy suitcase. It's fifty pounds. But I get free free luggage, so I said, "Well, why don't I just bring two fifty-pound suitcases?" So the second fifty-pound suitcase is loaded with about thirty pounds of paint, wow. a drop cloth, canvases, you know, a water basin, everything I need to basically transform a hotel room into an art studio. And that started probably a year and a half ago. That has given me incredible amount of joy. So that full two years that I've been doing this, you know, having this kind of morning, uh, actually daily ritual of fitting art into my life. You know, the goal is an hour a day. It doesn't always happen now, but it, it did happen religiously for the first year. And at the same time, I was bringing my art on the road. And ironically, I did more art on the road than anywhere else because it was focused, concentrated time, like three hours a night of making art. At the same time, my brain was just always, when is the right time? When can I leave? You know, when can I do this all the time?
1: I just want to interject with one question because I've heard you say about that time when you were doing art religiously like that, that that first year you were very religious in your commitment in your in your dedication to this commitment and there were times when you felt like you weren't always kind with yourself around it that mm-hmm. uh, so I just want you to speak for a minute before you get back to the this next part of sure. your story speak for a minute about that because I think as especially for women it's really easy for us to be very hard on ourselves around the commitments we make to ourselves
0: yeah that's a really good point. You know, you know, saying I'm gonna do it every single day for three hundred and sixty five days was a way to get me going because it was really easy to make excuses because even though art is incredibly fun for me, it's really, really hard to get started because I don't really like, I'm not inspired. I don't have an idea when I start. I don't know what I'm gonna do. But if I say I'm gonna do it, I just start throwing paint around or, you know, moving images around and then something just happened. So it was important to start it that way. But what happened over time is I realized, well, you know, some days I just didn't have time to fit the hour in because I wanted to exercise instead or I wanted to have lunch with a woman friend or I wanted to do something else. And I didn't want to beat up on myself. So I came up with some alternative rules over time. And the rules were. I didn't necessarily have to do 365 consecutive days. One day I could do two hours of art, and that would count for two days. Hmm. The idea was just not to allow myself to make excuses not to do it because I didn't feel inspired or I didn't have the energy. Because the truth is, on most days, I don't feel inspired. But once I start, give me 15 minutes to a half hour, I am good to go and I can't stop for two hours. And right now, I don't do every single day. Because now I'm more focused on the business of art, and I'm still working a full-time job. So I allow myself to create a lot of my art in hotel rooms, because that's when I have a lot of dedicated time.
1: Tell me a little more about the business of art, because you've mentioned that phrase a couple times now. What do you mean by the business of art? And what are you working on when you say you're working on the business of art? The
0: business of art is everything that's involved with not actually creating the art itself. So it's planning my Instagram posts, it's creating newsletters, it's talking to you, it's making a long-range plan, it's making a sale, you know, like a cyber sale for um, Thanksgiving. It's all of the pieces that it takes to actually turn this into something where I can support myself doing it. And I would say that takes up, at the moment, 50% of all the time I have, and I have very limited time. So I try to split it, and that's part of the kindness part. As much as I want to do art every day, in order to turn this into something that could support me from a a living standpoint, I have to put a lot of energy and time into the business part of it, or I'll just be making art and not selling it. You know, in order to make more art, I need more time. To get more time, I need to sell art. So at the moment, I'm putting a lot of energy into the business part of it.
1: I've heard you say that you choose only one to three areas to focus on with your art and business. And in the past, what I heard you say was making art, Instagram and selling art, if I remember correctly, as you're doing it now, what would you say are those main areas that you're focusing on? Because you mentioned like the newsletter and the cyber sale and Instagram. What are the core areas that you're focusing on?
0: At this moment, and they actually have been the same focus for quite some time, it's been Instagram. So I put probably one to three hours a day in Instagram because it's um, quite an art form all by itself. Yeah. And doing a newsletter because it can't, the, uh, Instagram can't function all by itself. So you have to also nurture the people that are interested in what you do on a more intimate level, which is my newsletter, which comes out every other week. And, you know, getting the word out there about what I do and my story, connecting with people who I can share my story with. That's the other part of it, but that's really all I have time for. You know, that's it.
1: Yeah. I want to touch on, on Instagram and then where you're going with your art, because I know you're headed into a new phase with your art, but with Instagram, Uh, you have a large following on Instagram. You spend at least an hour a day on it and up to three hours a day on Instagram. One thing that you said in an interview was you said, Instagram hasn't changed my art, but it's kept me more honest about my art. So I was curious about how it's kept you honest and then also just the role it's played for you in building an art career
0: was funny because I was not into social media at all. I think I started Instagram two years ago and I read Austin Cloyan's book. I think Clion. that's not his name. Clion, yeah. Um, show your work. You know, he says you have to show your work every day. And I said, okay, I can do that. So I taught myself how to do Instagram as a result. Showing up every single day on Instagram, the, the honest part is, is that for me to feel good about what I'm doing, I have to put out really authentic captions and also talk authentically about what I'm creating. So I try to be as real as I possibly can on Instagram. So people, so I'm relatable to people. You know, I've heard many times that people buy art from people they like, not just art. They like, you know, it has to be a combination. Not that I'm trying to be likable, but I'm trying to connect with people who like my message. You know, they like what I'm trying to say. You know, much of it is a spiritual message integrated with my art.
1: Yeah. And then how are you fitting in that one to three hours while you're also working full time? And I get that right now you're actually not making as much art because most of their time is going into the business of art. But where is that? Is that one to three hours? Is that where you were making art before where is that fitting into your day?
0: Yeah, that is that is pretty where it goes. Mm-hmm. You know, I do it first thing in the morning. I make a grid. Uh, I actually plan my pictures out three weeks in advance. And I plan my captions out one week in advance, just so it's not so hard. Like when I'm traveling, I don't have to sit there and stop and figure out what am I going to post or what am I going to say. But then it takes a lot of time every day to connect with the people that, that choose to connect with me. You know, so I... I respond back to every single comment and because of that I have an engaged audience you know people do come back and I feel like I have a lot of friends on Instagram like genuine friends who are both patrons of my art and are just people I love they they'll never buy art from me and I don't really care
1: we're just connecting on a very real level yeah I mean it's how you and I met was through Instagram I've met a lot of people that I've interviewed through Instagram it's it's incredible how powerful a medium it is it is now one of the things Catherine that you mentioned is spiritual you talked about your art as spiritual and obviously you're a spiritual person because you've talked about guidance you've being guided you have gone through a lot of what people would term traumatic events and you've handled them with a lot of grace and you've used incredible insights to really steer your life. And I know that spirituality plays a piece in your art as well. One of the things that you have is the names of your pieces. So some of your pieces have titles like this moment is my destiny. Like what you talked about earlier guidance surrounds me. Something incredible is about to happen. Tell me about the role of spirituality and affirmations in your art and why they're important in your art.
0: They're inseparable. You know, from the very beginning, my art spoke to me and I felt like it was giving me information. And it does the same thing now. You know, so whenever I create anything, I believe that it's either... I'm making it for myself to teach myself or it's meant to go actually teach someone else. But the titles are as important to me as the piece itself. So I don't just make art like as a pretty thing to hang on the wall. I make it to inspire other people to find what is important to them and to inspire them to move toward what's important. And that's always been the case from the very beginning. So it takes me quite a long time to actually to create the title. I have a, a running list on my phone. I have a huge file of titles. I'm constantly looking for other people, other artists, you know, what they title. I want every title to say something that would inspire someone. Wow. So when they see it, they go, you know, it, it touches them in some way. In addition to just seeing pretty art, you know, it's the title. And, and I know that people actually buy my art as much for the title. The title spoke to them.
1: It's amazing. It's amazing to hear you say that you spend such a significant amount of time on the title alone and how important that is. Because in one sense, the image that you're creating through collage and through painting is what you're communicating to the to your audience, to the person who's taking in your art, appreciating your art. But the words are also communicating that. Like they are both your art. hmm They are. So, okay, where is your art going now?
0: So, my art. So, I, the last two years, you know, I've, I figured out how to pull my art and my job together. I've pretty much continuously asked the universe, tell me when's the right time. I don't want to jump again like the way I did when I was 40. I want to do it from a place of I'm compl- I completely know this is the right time. Three different times over the last two three years, two years, I thought it was the right time, and something very clearly happened that pulled me back. About three months ago, I was talking to my art coach, and we were going over what's possible and not possible. You know, working full time and you know running an art business. And something just clicked in my brain that I'm never going to be able to do what I really want to do if I continue working full-time. And it became so clear that in the same moment, I got a message in my head that said, it's time. Ask your boss. Up until this moment, my company was really not open to the idea of anyone not working full-time. You know, you either work full-time or you don't work at all. But something told me that this might be the right time, so I asked my boss just exactly what I wanted, which was I wanted to quit my job, but work five days a month just doing these certifications. So I could really focus a very small amount of time on the job and do art on the road at the same time. But then three or four weeks out of the month, I'd be home in my studio. The moment I put the words out there, she basically jumped all over them and was so excited because it was for the company's highest good as well because they had they were looking for money, basically, to hire a new person, but they didn't have it. And by me going as a contractor, I still did a lot of the work they needed, but they got to reposition this money that you know was being allocated for me somewhere else. It was a win-win, and in that moment, I knew it was 100% the, the time to do it. So, I gave a four month notice, which is a little unusual, but we get, we, the way my job works, they plan things a year in advance. So, I know exactly what I'm going to be doing even next year. So, I gave them enough notice. So, as of January 1, I'm actually going back to full time art with five days a month, you know, still doing this Myers Briggs. But long term, what I want to do is make a full living just for my art. But for the time being, the gift I'm going to give myself at least for six months, I'm hoping for a full year is I'm going to figure out where I want to go as an artist. You know, I've been so focused, you know, for, I don't know, 25 years on doing collage and I've loved it. I have an audience and I've sold a lot of art, but I haven't had the time to really put into figuring out what else is there. I'm just going to start taking art classes and experimenting and, guessoing over a whole bunch of bad art basically I call it making shitty art until something emerges where I realize this is the direction I want to go and it feels like the kindest sweetest gift I could I could almost cry <laughs> that I could ever give myself because I've never had that kind of time to really explore where I want to go and where I want to serve you know how my art is supposed to, support because i don't see my art for me i see the art as it's for me and for whoever is touched by it and needs to learn by it whether they own it or whether they just see it somewhere you know they get a card you know someone sends them a card that inspires them which ironically is how a lot of people have my art they've been given a card of mine
1: that's great this is beautiful this is a great place to bring the interview for the most part to a close except for the last two pieces before we do that this is Speaking of your art and where it is now, and then we'll all get to see where it goes by following you um, on Instagram and going to your website. So first of all, your website is katherinerains.com, and Instagram is the hotel artist, is That right? That's right.
0: It's the hotel artist, right?
1: The hotel artist. So definitely that's – I would say your website is a great place to see it more of a portfolio feel, and also to just see what's, anything that's happening, but that Instagram is the best place to really join in your community, and get the daily connection with you, and see, and this way we'll all be able to see what's happening to your art, as it moves from collage into whatever is the next phase for you, collage and painting into whatever's next. With that, I'd like to offer a gratitude, and before, while i'm doing the gratitude i kind of i want to weave in pieces of your story because so much of my gratitude has to do my gratitude for you and who you are and who you are as an artist has to do with the pieces that you've shared about your story and the gratitude has a lot to do with your strength and your positive its outlook but it's also just the positive way that you move through the world And the way the story shows up for me with that is, you have been through a lot. You've been through difficult times in your job, you've been through breast cancer, you've been through your husband leaving, asking for a divorce, and just a lot of change and a lot of events that were really challenging. And through all of that, you have shown up in a way that is so present and so committed to being present, and being positive, and being guided. I find that incredibly inspiring. I really like parts of the story you share, I'm like, oh God, I I have have to remember that, and I have to remember that. And so I find that just so wonderful to hear all these inspirational parts of, not just your story, but of course of who you are, and how you allow yourself to be guided How you allow your art to guide you, how you allow messages to guide you, insights to come, and then to follow that, to give space for the brain, to make the to-do list, to make the plans, all of that, but then to really tune into your knowing and to follow that. So I'm I'm grateful for both of those and I'm grateful that you shared that with us today because I just think it's not only of great value to me, it's going to be of great value to a lot of people. You have an amazing story, an amazing way that you live your life. So thank you for that, Catherine. Yeah, your your words totally
0: opened my heart. Thank you. That was the sweetest thing you could have said to me. Thanks.
1: Yeah, you're very welcome. And then the last thing is the question I ask everyone, which is, For people who are called to follow their creativity, follow their creative urge, why do you think it's important that we each make our thing?
0: You know, I think that society puts a lot of pressure on us to kind of find the thing, find our purpose, find our destiny. And I see so many people in my life that beat themselves up because they haven't found the thing. And what I try to tell people is it's not the thing. It's just doing the thing in front of you with complete presentness, whether it's baking cupcakes or talking to your child or going for a run. You know, it's, it's being so completely present. That's the thing, you know, and those little things add up to other things you know, Elizabeth Gilbert said it so beautifully because she did this talk one time, you've probably heard it, where she, where people, some woman emailed her after one of her famous talks about finding your passion. You know, you have to follow your passion because that, you know, you, you, you owe it to the universe to follow your passion. And this woman said, well, I don't have a passion and now I feel like crap. <laughs> and her response was, you're right, that I am wrong, that she was wrong, the, uh, Elizabeth Gilbert was and that it's not about finding your passion it's about following your following your curiosities so just following what is true in that moment like whatever makes you feel good right now to me that is not only serving yourself but it's serving everybody else around you and to me that is creation you know it's creating in the moment but it doesn't have to be this big thing that you have to contribute as in you know you're you know create a sculpture It could be that creation is being so amazingly present for your daughter in that moment. That's your creation. And I think that's what's important.
1: That's beautiful. That is really beautiful. Thank you so much, Catherine.
0: Thank you. It was a, a complete joy to talk with you, Daphne. You are a brilliant interviewer. Thank you.
1: I'm Daphne Cohn, and you've been listening to the Creativity Habit Podcast. Head on over to TheCreativityHabit.com to read this week's Day in the Life, The Rituals, Routines, and Practices of Nine-Year-Old Kaya Chitwood Rivers. Kaya designs cards with inspirational sayings. She makes them to, quote, be creative, help others believe in themselves, and to help children in need. Half of her profits go to serve children in the local community. To read about the daily routines and practices of artists and makers, go to the CreativityHabit.com and you can follow The Creativity Habit on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, please go to the iTunes podcast and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And then join me for another Creativity Habit podcast after the winter break. This is the last podcast until sometime in January. May the holidays be a wonderful, refreshing, and beautiful time of year for you. And thank you for listening.